from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And welcome to the best political talk show that you've never heard of. And I am not Justin Russell. Justin Russell is uh, north of the border celebrating with the Toronto Raptors their NBA championship or doing something uh, north in Canada. Uh, that said, I am your guest host, Dan Lipner, uh, former uh, guest star of the show, but acting as the guest host. Across from me this afternoon is Alan Moore. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. Also joining us on the phone is your retired one-star admiral, Ken the Admiral Carradine. Ken, how are you doing today? <laughs> that good. I, uh, uh, Ken is probably sitting there listening to some village people right now. Uh, also joining us on the sh- on the show this afternoon is Rich Rubino, former Huffington Post writer and political author. Rich, how are you doing this afternoon? Sensational. Outstanding. And uh, <laughs> try again. Ken, are you with us or are you still MIA? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Hello. <laughs> we have Ken Carradine. <laughs> Outstanding. So there's a lot of things going on in the news this week, and the president has been do- taking a lot of actions. But most notably is what started uh, a little over six months ago and has had some additional news today. Our acting Secretary of Defense, Secretary Shanahan, is no longer in the game. He has removed himself from consideration, and he was acting Secretary of Defense for about six months. Alan Moore, what happened here? Well, not only is he no longer the the president's choice for secretary, he is stepping down as deputy secretary. Um, What happened here, uh, last week there were some reports that we discussed on this show, but they were very fresh reports that the president was inquiring of some other uh, foreign leaders how they felt about uh, the deputy secretary, the acting secretary, Patrick Shanahan. Um, And that word got around, as these things tend to, um, because people talk. And we were trying to figure it out. It's not that wasn't that unusual for this president to have second thoughts about all sorts of people. It's not unusual. So in that regard, it wasn't that unusual. It was a bit of a surprise today, but the but the reports that are out there suggest it was not necessarily the president's second thoughts. Uh, it's hard to sort that out. But the fact that nine years ago, uh, uh, acting Secretary Shanahan, um, soon to be former Acting Secretary Shanahan, and perhaps he's got that status even now, um, uh, was involved in in a domestic su- a domestic uh, uh, conflict with his former wife. There were allegations that that he uh, hit her. Uh, he was never charged with that. She was charged with hitting him. Um, but sadly, uh, underneath all of that was a much more violent confrontation um, in 2011 between her then 17-year-old son, uh, the ex-wife, and the ex-wife, who, um, not to put too fine a point on it, took a baseball bat to her, fractured her skull, and an elbow, 
Um, he was a minor. Um, he was charged. He spent some time at a youth camp. Um, apparently, since then, there's been no allegations of continuing violence. Uh, he recently graduated from college. Tragic story, um, but frightening story that had never before uh, gotten into the public eye, not when he went through his confirmation process to be deputy secretary. The controversy at that time being that he was a senior Boeing company executive and was that the appropriate, uh, was deputy secretary the appropriate place for such a person? Um, and, and that had always been the focus, even in the conversation about him becoming the secretary. He's now out. He's re- he, he, whether he's removed himself or he's been removed, he's out and he's leaving the department. And the new acting secretary named by the president is the current uh, secretary of the Army, Mark Esper, who's been serving in that position now, actually confirmed and serving in that position. Um and uh, and there is so far no known controversy about him, but we're just getting started. Well, this is the Trump administration after all. Admiral Ken, what does this yeah. kind of leadership uh, change at the top of the Pentagon mean, both when you, when you were both in service and since? What does that mean uh, based on your perspective and your experience? So let, let's talk about what the Pentagon is and what it is not. <clears throat> so the Pentagon is... And the Department of Defense, um, and I use those terms interchangeably, maybe not appropriate, but I do. The Department of Defense is a very hierarchical organization. Uh, and, and you know what? And I think that um, most people assume that that is the case, and it is. Now, I will say that at the, um, uh, at the, at the general officer and flag officer and senior, um, uh, senior civilian SES level, there's some level of politics going on because – you know, whenever you introduce people, there's always going to be some level of politics. But by and large, it's a very hierarchical organization. So if there's any concern that the business of the nation and the business of the nation's military is not going to get done, uh, let me allay you of those concerns right now. That 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 part of the me- mechanism is working. Um, the Secretary of Defense primarily is a policy advisor for the President of the United States uh, on 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 the use. Uh, of military and what uh, can be done legally and what they have uh, what they have available uh, in the way of military resources uh, if those resources are are, are are planned to be used. So, you know, with uh, Acting Secretary Shanahan in the job, um, the only thing that he probably does not have is the same gravitas that some of the other you know uh, confirmed uh, secretaries, cabinet secretaries have. But by and large. People are saluting him, giving him the aye-aye or the yes-sir, and they're carrying out his, his directives. Um, and so what I will say is that it takes some number, of, some number of days, weeks, or months to get up to speed in that job. Uh, taking someone, as was the case with Ash Carter working uh, for, um, I forget the uh, uh, Hagel, Chuck Hagel, uh, moving Ash Carter into that job was a lot easier to do than taking somebody from a different department, even the Department of the Army, and moving them to that, into that job. It takes some amount of time to get up to speed. Um, you know, a lot's been said, in, you know, both seriously and jokingly, about the revolving door that is the Trump administration. Um, but I think that just because, of the org- just because the organization is as hierarchical and as structured as it is, there's probably less chaos 
in in this move than there might be in other another other less structured structured organizations. So, Admiral Ken, you bring up a good point with the turnover uh, in the Trump administration. And actually, there was just a, I believe this is the Brookings Institute that, that was uh, crunching some numbers and I believe had the Trump administration's turnover as a record high of any administration uh, in, in the history of I the country. That. Uh, I heard that. Rich Rubino. Uh, the president the- loves records. <laughs> <laughs> As long as he doesn't have to preserve his own records. Um, Rich Rubino, uh, as far as administrations go and turnover, uh, how does the Trump administration compare to, I don't even know, who do you have as number two as far as this kind of chaos and this kind of turnover in an administration, Democrat, Republican, or other administration? Yeah, well, I think that this is this certainly um, this is almost unprecedented, but I would just say a few historically, one of them would be the Carter administration. And what happened back in 1979, when Jimmy Carter's job approval rating was falling, you know, he came in there, he was very popular. His job approval was set about in the 70s at one point because of the energy crisis, mostly, but also the hostage, the Iranian hostage crisis. Um, he had a crisis of his own, so he went to Camp David, and a bunch of people, Bill Clinton was one of them, a governor of Arkansas, um, Governor Budsby, the governor of Georgia, a bunch of people got together and they said, what, are, what can we do to reform the administration? He comes down from Camp David and he fires six, six cabinet officials and puts in new people. Um, that would be one example of a very quick turnaround. It didn't necessarily, it didn't, certainly didn't work for him as he lost re-election, you know, winning, um, winning six states. The other example would be Richard Nixon. After Richard Nixon was re-elected in 1972 on Election Day, um, he was kind of disconsolate. Everyone else was so happy he'd won 49 states. The only places he lost were Massachusetts and, and District of Columbia. Everyone was saying it's a great day, but he was relatively depressed. So he had his chief of staff go to the cabinet and said, basically, you're all volcanoes now, and they changed administration that way. Um, generally speaking, you know, it's, they serve at the, pleasant, at the pre- ple- president's pleasure um, in, terms of, in terms of cabinet officials, and you do have that scenario where a cabinet secretary resigns, then certainly an acting cabinet secretary, just like in other positions, an acting cabinet secretary comes in, and there's very, there's very relatively little change. The acting secretary is usually there as kind of a uh, caretaker, more or less, until somebody else comes into comes into power. But as I say, it's uh, it's it's as I say, it's very rare to stay in for your entire administration. Clinton's administration, as far as the cabinet secretaries, were actually remarkably stable. You are correct about the attorney general slots, but I believe three or four of his secretaries were there for his entire uh, eight-year term, including the Secretary of Education, as you uh, pointed out. Richard Riley, yep. um, The AG, and I believe there are a couple others as well. Um, That said, the going without a Secretary of Defense, or only an acting Secretary of Defense, for six months, um, this feels more than a little unusual. Have we had that higher-ranking official be essentially acting or a, a vacancy in that seat for that long? Uh, I don't think for that long. Usually, that well, usually, other than just the fact that there's a transition and somebody takes over, but usually the president has somebody in place that will come in and will succeed the former uh, secretary. And usually, they usually it's usually it's either whether it's whether the secretary is fired or the secretary simply just says that he's not going to serve another term. There's somebody that's going to come in. I will say that I remember in terms of the defense secretary. The last one I can think of that was really became unpopular, going back to the Clinton administration again, was probably Les Aspen. And Les Aspen, I know that there was the uh, debacle in Somalia, so Les Aspen ended up leaving, but another Secretary of Defense came in. And eventually, during the second, during the second Clinton administration, he actually had a Republican in there 
who had been a critic of him in some in, for his policy in Bosnia, and that was uh, Bill Cohen, the former senator from Maine. And to show the bipartisanship in terms of foreign policy, Barack Obama also did that when he nominated Chuck Hagel, who was the former senator for Nebraska, who became uh, defense secretary and actually ran into a lot of problems with his former ally, John McCain and Lindsey Graham, because um, because they had, he, because in part because they didn't think that he was um, vociferous enough in his support for the Israeli regime. And they asked him some questions during that hearing. But um, Chuck Hagel, I think, was seen at that time, at least on defense issues, as more of a Democrat than he was a Republican. And he certainly served out a couple of years and, and then eventually um, – you know, eventually, you know, you have two or three years, and then eventually most people burn out and somebody else comes in. But you're right, in terms of the Clinton administration, um, there were certainly a lot of people that served in there for a very long period of time. So along those same lines, and thank you for introducing the other topics of some of those crises that secretaries <laughs> of defense have uh, dealt with in the past and the vacancy that is currently sitting uh in the in, in only an acting role at for Secretary of Defense um, that will be dealing with as far as currently Iran. Uh, the administration has released a claim that the Iranians were pulling uh, mines, at least a mine, out of the uh, the Straits of Hormuz, and our the question is: Well, is this credible? If, without a Secretary of Defense, does that potentially harm us? Uh, if there is a military confrontation, the fact that our ally, allies are now uh, pushing back, uh, claiming they need more evidence uh, regarding uh, well, whether or not this is credible. And on top of that, is this a slam dunk, to quote a former <laughs> uh, CIA director on uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? So is this a slam dunk with Iran? And tr should our allies just trust us on this? Uh, Alan Moore. Boy. <clears throat> It, it it remains to be seen. I, I'm gonna I'm real interested to hear what the admiral has to say on on this particular subject. Um, we we have we we have made a decision. The the president has made a decision to to, to poke Iran. Uh, it, it canceled the uh, the Iran nuclear deal. It reimposed sanctions uh, against Iran and it and the the sale and shipment of Iranian oil. It is put enormous pressure on our allies, um, some of whom, of course, were parties uh, to the agreement with Iran. Um, don't, it's worth noting, don't, everyone claims, including our own folks, that the Iranians were upholding their side of the bargain. That 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 is correct. There was a lot of debate, of course, about the nature of the bargain itself. Um, it did not have the status of a treaty, It was, it, it, which was pointed out at the time, made it vulnerable to a new president coming in and making changes. Um, but, it, yes, it was a, multi, a, a multinational um, uh, agreement. Um, there, all reports I've seen were that they were upholding the letter of the agreement, even as they were doing other provocative things internationally. Um, but things that were not covered in the agreement. So the president canceled the agreement, uh, moved to reimpose the sanctions, put a lot of pressure on foreign governments and foreign companies to uh, to live by those sanctions in order to avoid sanctions against them by the United States. So the, the Iranians now are in this position where they're urging uh, where they're talking to these other countries, these other countries are urging Iran to continue to live by the agreement. Um, and it's been it was reported this week, of course, that 
Iran is uh, is a mere 10 days away from reaching the ceiling in that agreement on the amount of uh, uh, of of nuclear material that it is allowed to to hold uh, in the agreement. The question is, are they going to exceed that amount? Are they going to exceed the uh, elements of the agreement that these other European, uh, other international bodies are trying to hold on to and maintain? So that's actually a very good point and a very interesting point before we throw to Admiral Ken, that part of that, their uh, additional uh, refining of uh, fissile material um, has been announced by them that they can do this in 10 days, which I thought was kind of odd. It's coming across as a press release as opposed to uh, as, as opposed to a security briefing at from the National Security Advisor. And that seems interesting and both pr- provocative, pr- potentially to open the door for negotiations from the Iranian side. It, 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 is, it is provocative on the one hand. Uh, there's a strategy behind it, which is not yet uh, obvious, but it was it, they were going to be found out. If they tried to do this secretly, then this would get them crossways with the other European uh, uh, the other international partners, um, all of whom are urging Iran to continue to live by the agreement. Now, the, so the question is, what, hap- what happens as they continue to enrich uranium and get to the point where they're at their ceiling, what do they then do? Do they stop or do they continue to enrich? Do they, they've, they've indicated they're 10 days away. Um, what, what is their intention um, what are they trying to get from the other nations that were party to the agreement? What will the president do? The president, uh, the Defense Department sent a thousand more troops to the region. Um, and uh, so it's not clear what Iran is up to. It's not clear what the U.S. will do. It's not clear what the other parties will do. Uh, there's reason for some nervousness all around. Admiral Ken, uh, from your perspective, both military and uh as far as just a negotiation posture, what do you think is going on, and how do you think the United States is is uh, handling itself thus far in this latest uh, little struggle? So, I, I as I listened to this, I, my my mind went to the, the latest episode of of, of uh, Designated Survivor, where they showed um, the, the the character of the President of the United States playing with the Rubik's cube while he's sitting on the toilet. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's just this is just this is this is Ken. Where, so, Ken, where are you recording the show from? Just so I know. Netflix, baby, it's great. It went to Netflix. Um, so on the on the issue of of, uh, of, of Iran with the the fissile material. So you know, I, I'm I'm thinking that they they have to they have to uh, have watched the president's behavior toward uh, North Korea and Kim Jong Un. And, and I guess in the back of their minds, okay, so he, he basically – he trashed a treaty that we really didn't want to sign, and we said, okay, we're, we'll live by this thing. And while we were doing what we we're supposed to do, um, you know, he basically you know, you know, gave, us, gave us a big fat middle finger. In, in Trump's hand, Trump's version, I guess a little fat middle finger. And so <laughs> now, now, now they're thinking, okay, so what do we got to do to get some respect from this guy? Well, he respects the heck out of Kim Jong Un, and what's he got that we don't have? Nukes. Well, hey, let's see how this works out. So the JPOA was 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 not a perfect document. Uh, I probably was one of you know a number of, of, of retired flag and journal officers who went on record saying, yeah, this is probably not a good deal. But once it was in place, okay, let's go. And the thing that I think the Trump administration does not get 
and still hasn't uh, figured out yet is that you need allies to help you enforce um, your 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 wishes on on countries that are not behaving appropriately. And the JPOA, you know, by trashing it, we 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 turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to our, toward our allies yet once again. And I I think what's really interesting is that on the international stage. Those pictures of the, the Iranians possibly removing or placing a, a limpet mine on the side of a tanker, they're falling on deaf ears. And I think the main reason for that is there's just been so many lies, so many half-truths, and, and, uh, from, and so much chaos from this administration that they, they really don't know what to believe. And I think that what's, what's creating – uh, that's going to create a situation where things are getting really dangerous in the Straits of Hormuz. The, the Iranians can really shut it down, and it'll turn into a big navy fight, and we'll get to you know spin off you know a few billion dollars worth of missiles and torpedoes to clear it up again. But you know, as someone who served in, in uniform, the last thing I want to do is fight, and I don't want to do that unless I have to. And this doesn't make sense that we're pushing pushing these guys down this road. It doesn't make sense, and I think quite frankly. You know, there's a there's a school of thought that the only reason that President Trump killed JPOA is because it was an Obama accomplishment. So Richard, Richard Bino. So in that same context, and maybe the Trump administration deserves a little leeway here, and I mean that tentatively, that all of this wasn't exactly their own fault as far as people having skepticism uh, in the United States position. I made a reference to the. Uh, former uh, director of the CIA uh, referring to the the uh, case of weapons of mass destruction production uh, in Iraq as a slam dunk. Is this all the Trump administration, or is this also the ghost of Christmas past being visited upon this administration as well? Oh no, it's definitely the ghost of Christmas past. You can go back to the you know you can go back to so many um, the USS Maine in 1898. You can go back to the Gulf of Tonkin resolution where. That's the United States Senate literally voted unanimously. I mean, the United States House of Representatives voted unanimously to give President Johnson a blank check, and the United States House of Representatives, the United States Senate, only had two 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 abstentions. And then later we found out that it that it, we found out that that that, it, that we found out that it did not actually happen. At least the second attack did not happen. Certainly, the the case that was made by, that was made in Iraq was so incontrovertible. When George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, they weren't saying we have on the best intelligence. They were essentially saying they have them. They have weapons of mass destruction. There is a nexus between Al Qaeda and um, and Iraq, which of course there wasn't. They were so they were. I mean, they were using such concrete. They were using such concrete language. And then, of course, it turned out that everything that they were saying was mendacious. So I think that that's certainly um, that's that's certainly that certainly President Trump is not the first president to have gone through this. Where, it, but there's just such skepticism. There's such so many people now saying, is this some somehow such a such as some sort of a false flag here? There's almost a hyperbolic skepticism here. But in terms of what, the, in terms of uh, President uh, Trump, uh, President Trump's. Uh, taking away taking away the Obama administration's agreement, you got to remember. Try to think of this in terms of somebody from a, from a, and from an Iranian perspective. So the the U the sanctions that were put on that were put in place under the Obama administration are taken off. They're dislodged. Now all of a sudden these sanctions are for are for no apparent reason are put back on the Iranian people. I think sometimes sometimes when we say sanctions, we say it more of kind of an intellectual concept. Like that's what we'll do. We'll put sanctions on here. And there are smart sanctions you can put on. Which, gen- which generally are supposed to affect the regime or folks or rich financiers. But what these sanctions do is basically because of the actions of a few in the government, they affect the entire population. 
So they affect poor people, they affect rich people, they affect financiers, they affect the middle class. And what they have the what they have the intended result the result being is that you're going to unify the Iranian people get back against the United States again. Remember, after September 11th, there were Iranians singing on the streets. Um, God, there were Iranians singing on the streets. God bless America, because um, they were in a sense unified with the United States. And this is after the whole history between the United States and Iran, going back to 1953, when when when, when, um, when Mohammad Mossadegh was dislodged from power by the United States and Britain, in part because he nationalized the oil field, and then the Shah of Iran took over. And the Shah of Iran was in there until 1979 when you had the hostage crisis and the Ayatollah came in. And then you had the U.S. supporting Iraq and Saddam Hussein against Iran during the 1980s and then putting sanctions on Iran while supporting Saudi Arabia during the, you know, their, um, their vociferous uh, adversaries. So try to think of it from an Iranian perspective. And now you know, they see the United States, why they see us in a sense as a great Satan – and now, you know, there was this Barack Obama, I know, one of his first speeches, he went to Cairo back in 2009, and he, in a sense, apologized for the United States for their role in the 1953, um, in the 1953 coup against the Mossadegh regime. And then Mitt Romney used that in 2012 to say, well, Barack Obama is going apologizing for America. So Iran, I think, from a United States perspective, they're seen as, in many respects, an adversary. But you have to, you have to differentiate, certainly, the regime. And from the um, from the population of Iran, and you have to, and the population of Iran, they are being hurt. They're having deleterious effects on them as well. And as a result, they, I think, are going to be supporting their government. Just like, for example, go back to the 1990s in Iraq, when the United States was trying to get Saddam Hussein out of power, so they put debilitating sanctions on Iraq. And as a result, it was the people who were, it was the, it was the, the normal people who were affected, while Saddam Hussein, you know, had a 294-foot yacht and had a palace in all 18 of the Iraqi provinces. So I don't see where the benefit of these sanctions is going to be in terms of taking down the regime. I think it's only going to unify the people and the regime against an external adversary, and that is the United States. Well, Rich, uh, I'm going to push back on one item when you suggested uh, remember that the Iranians were out on the streets uh, singing God Bless America, and I'm only pushing back on that since uh, in real time, Americans don't know what was in the Mueller report and think there was nothing bad said about uh, Donald Trump uh, in the Mueller report. (laughs) I'm quite certain most Americans have absolutely no idea that uh, the Iranian people actually had this show of support for the United States after September 11th. Um, That said, I'm actually going to leave the segment with uh, Admiral Ken. Um, What does this mean from a military perspective that negotiations seem to be that much more difficult? Uh, I I believe there's the famous quote that says, uh, warfare is a a change of uh, movement of policy by other by other means. Uh, in this case, if those policies can't be discussed uh, at a negotiating table, doesn't it make it a lot more dangerous for people who are in uniform? Yeah, it does. And thanks for quoting Von Klauswitz there. That's pretty good, for, for, for <laughs> especially for an Air Force guy. Um, uh, so, one, you know, listening to the news and, you know, some of my neighbors who are taking concern about the movement of another thousand troops bringing up the, the, the toll over the last maybe three or four months that, you know, just around 2,500 people. Um, you know, one, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, Donald Trump, uh, one thing he's been consistent about, and that's not wanting to do anything militarily in the, in, in the Middle East. He doesn't want to do that. And, uh, and I think there's a good number of people in, 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 in his administration who both don't like John Bolton and are trying to shut him down. And I think Bolton's probably one of the one of the biggest hawks that he's got working for him. 
uh, especially when it comes to Iran. Um, you know, I, I, I tell you, when, when, when ships, when, when large numbers of ships start moving toward the Gulf and toward the Straits of Hormuz, that's when we need to start getting tense. That's when things are start. That's when things are going to start uh, making me worry. Not until then. And with that, uh, that's the end of this segment. And uh, when we come back, we'll have some more to talk about, including goodbye, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Amen. <laughs> we'll have more to come back. My man is acting like a heart that's good for nothing. Low down, I believed and trusted. Now I'm disgusted. I found him out, had a show down. What I think of him, how much I love him. I get a desperate notion. That's the way I feel today. Because he's making a plaything of my devotion That's the way I feel today Without any reason or a word to say That man turned his keys in He packed and went away What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean That's the way I feel today Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And welcome back, everyone. As you probably already guessed, I am not Justin Russell. I am your guest host, Dan Lipner. And for this next segment, uh, first let me start off by wishing my dad a happy birthday. Today he is 76 years old. Happy birthday, Dad. 
And on that note, on the wishing him happy birthday, and I'm sure he's going to be very sad with this, but Rich, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, is leaving the White House. Is she the best White House secretary, press secretary ever, or merely one of the best White House uh, press secretaries ever? Oh, that's that's like when Steve Stephen Colbert used to ask the question. Um, used to ask the question of Democratic representatives George W. Bush, great president or the greatest president. <laughs> I guess how do you answer that? Um, no, I don't think she will go down in the annals of history. I actually think in terms of um, press secretaries that will be that will be remembered. One of them is certainly Mike McCurry from the Clinton administration. I think certainly the time the de- way he was able to deal with. Um, being there for the Monica Lewinsky scandal and still having respect from the press, I think he would be one of those that would that's be, that would be greatly respected. I think Marlon Fitzwater, um, certainly for the George W. for the George H. W. Bush administration, who's who has become extremely um, who is certain well known. Or they have a school for they have a name. I were at Franklin Pierce College, for example. But no, I think that she's going to be remembered. Um, which is I, actually remember this is someone who's only 36 years old. Um, who basically had worked for his father, who was governor of Arkansas, in her presidential campaign. She's become the public face card of the Trump administration, even though she hasn't had any public uh, briefings in, uh, in 96 days, believe it or not. And most presidents, it's pretty, it's pretty much just about every day they have some sort of a gag early in the morning, and then they have a press conference uh, later in the day. But I think that her association with Donald Trump, specifically, um, the fact that if Donald Trump were to, for example, if Donald Trump is to resign in disgrace, if it would, no matter, let's say whether he gets a second term, whether he resigns in disgrace, whatever happens, she's going to be associated with Donald Trump. Now, if Donald Trump's legacy is seen as positive, she will also be seen that in that respect. Um, it, it is, she will also be seen as somebody who is um, certainly a advocate of Donald Trump. And certainly, I was going back, going, you know, go back to the Nixon administration, for example. I know that there was a press secretary. Uh, Ziegler, who was certainly associated with him, but in terms of what her future is going to be, she's talking about now running for governor of Arkansas. And some people might say that this is an outlandish proposition, but Donald Trump is relatively popular in Arkansas and probably will remain popular in Arkansas. Um, her, her, her father served three, basically came into power um, after Jim Guy Tucker, who was Bill Clinton's successor, resigned. Um, resigned in disgrace, basically. Huckabee came in in 96 and served for about two and a half, three and a half terms. Um, he's rest still relatively popular in the state, even though he moved to Florida and no longer lives in the state. You currently have Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, who just got reelected overwhelmingly as a Republican. The state has turned very Republican. Um, I think that in 2000, it would have to be 2022 when she were, if she were to seek the seat. There's also the possibility, perhaps, if John Bozeman were to retire at some point or if Tom Cotton the other United States senator, those are the two senators, if he were to resign at some point to take a position in the Trump That's a lot of political ambition that, that, that we are th- we're throwing at her. And I believe right. the governor's seat was something suggested by Trump in his little goodbye tweet about her. Uh, I don't recall her actually making a statement, but I could be mistaken. But she is. Well, I just think I just um, I guess maybe it's some conjecture on my part. I just know that she is going maybe. back to Arkansas. <laughs> and I know that she, I know that the Trump, so, the Trump brand I mean, is very uh, popular in Arkansas. Uh, and I think that she can that, be seen as some. So, so that said, so let's, let's, Admiral let's, Ken, Admiral Ken, yeah. so, she, so she's had an impossible job. There must be something good to say about impossible. her. It's not an impossible <laughs> job if you've got a soul. Okay, let, let's talk about something here. Okay, so number one, she she said when on the on the on the heels of the president firing Jim Comey that she talked to countless FBI agents and and uh, and they had said to her that that Comey had lost their confidence. Yeah, countless. Yes. She didn't count any. 
and yet, yet when yet when she was testifying under oath, she admitted that she'd made that up. Now we all knew some at some level that she was had a had a loose association with the truth at best. That 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 in in the, from the previous section session, that's a slam dunk. So if the people of Arkansas want to elect someone like Donald Trump, who's got at best a loose association with the truth as their governor, then I say go for it, my friends, and and and, and solidify almost every stereotype that people outside of Arkansas say about people from Arkansas. Oof, okay. So, you know what? Uh, Dale, so, what so d- 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 direct your complaints to Justin Russell at Backroom Politics. <laughs> <laughs> that said, uh, so... And that's, this is coming from a guy from I, Alabama. I, I still I'm maintain she, those, she has I had a pretty impossible you know job. Bumpers, when Governor of Arkansas used to say in his inaugural address, and he's 71, he said, um, he said we're no longer going to be saying thank God for Mississippi. <laughs> Alan Moore, there must be something good to say about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So she's leaving. She's. <laughs> thank you. Um, she. I, I. I'm so intrigued with all. <laughs> with all the speculation on what she's planning to do, Rich, I just have to say, you know a lot of stuff. You really do. You don't need to share all of it every time. Um, and that now, was from having, Alan. Yes, yes. <laughs> having ha, in, ter- in, in terms in terms of all of in terms of all of these these possibilities in Arkansas, I believe she's going back to Arkansas because a it's where she grew up, and because b she's not welcome in Washington D.C. Or New York City, the places where typically prior press secretaries will go because they can get they can often get media jobs. Just look at Sean Spicer's struggles, and he only he was only in the job less than a year. Um, got into jams on being f- required to say things that he knew to be untrue, and was resisting against that. Finally, got replaced. Sarah Sanders was a different person in this regard. Um, Ken a- accurately points out her biggest sin, and it's a big sin because it was wrong when she said it and then demonstrably, provably wrong when the Mueller report came out and she came up with some sort of a, of a, a pathetic, weak excuse for, well, she misspoke. But then she kept misspeaking over the next couple of weeks on that same exact subject. I don't know what she's going to do. She's got three small children. She's got to find some sort of way to make a living. And I suppose there's perhaps a market for her in writing a book, maybe a market for her and some some Trump loyalists who will, will, will pay to hear her speak. I mean, not only did she have this credibility problem, I don't I don't blame her for not holding uh, press briefings. That's something that the president uh, decided, not Sarah Saunders. So, uh, but having said that, who wants to hear from her anyway if she doesn't have anything to say, if her honesty is subject to question? Um, and, And there is no way we're going to look to her to provide any kind of of useful information. And in fairness, the president started doing his own, uh, not necessarily daily, but several times a week. (coughs) Sorry, I didn't want to cough over that one. Briefing briefing as he as he walks out of the uh, out of the White House, heads to the helicopter and takes a few questions. 
probably uh, a huge relief to her. The other thing that she will be remembered for um, and is appropriately vilified for is to be a partner in the president's trashing of news people. Um, and she would be confronted from time to time. So the president said that we are the enemy. Do you believe that? Could you clarify right now for the American people that we're not the enemy and about the best she could come up with? Well, maybe not all of you. Um, and and she did not under she doesn't understand the 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 world of journalism the the <laughs> the world of 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 news in what be it be it print or broadcast um, and uh, she has no friends anywhere in in the whole structure of. Of government, the 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 media That's cool, hate man. her. No friends. Well, not that I could see. Who I, there's certainly no defense. I mean, there are people who say, like I might. Wow, can you imagine having to be press secretary for this president and him uh, uh, ordering you to say things you know to be wrong, telling you not to speak on this sort of stuff, telling you not to have uh, press briefings, and you take the flack for it. Um, the only time she ever got anything sympathetic was at a big dinner, uh, the radio and TV correspondence dinner or White House correspondence dinner, where uh, a, 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 pay, a paid comedian proceeded to just trash her in highly personable, personal ways, her looks and so on. And, and people said, no, 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 that's that that's out of bounds. That's the best she ever got in terms of defense from people other than this sympathetic comment about working for Donald Trump. But she made that choice to do that and to continue to do that. Um, it, I, 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 I don't know what she's going to do. Maybe she'll run for office in, in, in Arkansas. I think the first thing she needs to do is take a breath, um, try to see if she's got any friends left. I don't know about the fam- her, her and her husband's um, employment, their financial situation, and so on. That's something that they've got oh, to I am pay some attention to. There must to. be a Chinese toy manufacturer that uses lead-based paint in their toys that needs a new comm specialist uh, to talk about the liberal bias against lead in children's toys. I mean, she would be perfect for that. I, I'm just certain of it. Um, but that said, uh, the, the stepping back from it a, a little bit, since we've all been making fun of her uh, at her expense that she deserves... <laughs> That said, what do we think the long-lasting effects of her as the White House press secretary for uh, more than two years is going to be on the long-term effects of between the White House and the uh, and the media? Not just this this White House, but future White Houses. Yeah, you know, the die is cast for this White House. I think the future won't necessarily be directly affected. We have had a lot of change in the world of media. Um, and 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 different kinds of behaviors and and new 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 ground rules that everybody's having to adjust to. But I I don't I think this is kind of a one off uh, experience with this president and and his press secretaries, and we'll see who comes next. Um, so I, I'm not in a position to say oh he's ruined that it's been ruined for for indefinitely or into the indefinite future. I think it's it's pretty unique to this president. Admiral Ken, any long term effects of Sarah Huckabee Sanders? I think that 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 the next press secretary um, that that comes along with the next administration um, will have the unique ability to restore a tremendous amount of norms that I think we 
you know, we took for granted until Donald Trump and um, and his 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 group of press secretaries um, made their presence known. Oh, I'm hoping that whoever that man or woman is understands the situation, the historical situation that they're going to be in, and that they 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 do some things that uh, that. You know, we, 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 we stand back away from the television or if you're lucky enough to be in the room at the end of every day and go, wow, my God, we're back where we're supposed to be. I mean, Rich Rubino, uh, playing devil's advocate here for the, the White House, and as you correctly pointed out, it's been more than, I believe, 96 days since they've had a regular press <laughs> briefing. Uh, the They've also shown there has, hasn't, aside from the uh, the Washington press corps, there actually hasn't been a huge uprising of complaints about this lack of a press briefing. Um, if the administration can move on their own without need of the press, um, why bother? No, it's a very good point. And Trump, the president certainly has his own way of using the press. He does, you know, he realizes that the people that are going to be more sympathetic to him are the ones that he's going to award with interviews, and certainly Fox News is one of them, for example. Many talk radio shows around the country, conservative talk radio shows. He knows that. He knows how to play the press that he likes against the establishment press. Kind of, He would say that this is you know, the conservative press. This is where the real America is, I guess he would say. And they don't, have, they don't necessarily share the liberal bias, whereas the, other, the, the, the establishment press, he would say, has a liberal agenda, and you shouldn't necessarily listen to them. But in terms of the press secretary, I mean, I think part of the reason there hasn't been an outrage is, I mean, I don't think that, and this goes back to any previous administration, if you asked, you know, who was the press secretary to have, my guess is for, you know, any other administration, half the population would know. Um, you know, they, it's a very specific group of people, I think, who actually would watch a press briefing or would actually pay attention to what a press secretary says. Uh, I think that they see, they view when the president comes up and does a press press conference or goes to the podium himself, people are more focused on that. I don't think people are necessarily that focused on what, you know, his press, his press underlings would say. That's why I think that um, in terms of a new administration comes in, there'll be somebody who's going to be a lot more uh, accept, accessible, to the, accessible to the press. But I don't think that, they, I don't think that this is a long-term uh, relationship between the president and the press. It's just that President Trump is used for his political advantage the fact that he wanted somebody who was going to be somewhat adversarial because for him, and you're going to see him when he runs for re-election, as much as whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be um, his opponent, the press is going to be part and parcel of the Democratic nominee, and he's going to try to make the case that the establishment press is part of the Democratic Party and that they're just, um, they're just kind of a wing of the Democratic Party. Ellen Moore. Yeah, so one thing that has come out of this is that in, in her Comments upon leaving, Sarah Sanders made the uh, uh, <laughs> the well-intentioned but unfortunate comment that she hopes to be remembered as trustworthy and honest. <laughs> or tra- I'm sorry, transparent and honest, and that has created. And she wasn't ironic at all when th- saying th- that. That has created some <laughs> hilarious uh, of. <laughs> Other tweets from people all around saying, yeah, and I, I'm hoping to be remembered as Barack Obama or I'm hoping to be remembered as this or that. But but probably the the, the best of all, the one that, that, that just went viral was Stormy Daniels, who said, yes, and I look forward to being remembered as a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> and fair point. But continuing on that, that train just for a little bit, the this White House – leaks more than a little bit, and we'll probably end up covering this uh, in the next segment uh, as well. But 
the the amount of leaks that fr- come out of this White House uh, unsourced, which the president has complained about, um, and the lack of a White House press briefing, is there any correlation to that? Or is this just how this administration happens to go, regardless of how the press works? Richard Bino. Um, I don't think. I think that's just certainly the way this administration – I think that this administration has um, kind of fawned on to that. But I think that – you know, for most pres, for most for the for, for most presidents, the presidential daily briefing is something that happens every day. Um, you know, it's usually it's kind of fun to watch the press the press the press secretary comes up and gives talking points about some sort of a program or you know something that they're doing for crime prevention or school uniforms or something like that. Um, talks about a minute or two, and then the press immediately start start bringing up the issue of some sort of a scandal or something that the president's going that the president doesn't want to talk about. The interesting thing that specifically I'll say about this president though is when it comes to the scandal, he actually brings up, he'll, he brings up no collusion. He brings up um, the Mueller report for every, I mean, you know, you can go back to any other administration, and it was, it was very rare that they would actually mention a scandal. In 1974's um, State of the Union address, for example, Richard Nixon actually said, you know, one year of Watergate is enough, and the American people were stunned. They would actually mention the word Watergate without it being mentioned specifically to him. So I think that, um, but I think that the press briefing Certainly, whoever comes into the next administration, it will be more of a daily event. It won't be something that you're going to have every 150 days. So let's make this a little bit bigger here, because uh, while we're all making fun of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and but this is a serious situation. I'm looking back at my memory of the announcement uh, of uh, coalition forces uh, uh, moving for the first Iraq war, uh, the presidential statements for the second Iraq war, uh, Bill Clinton and the White House press briefings during the the campaign in Bosnia, the issues in Somalia, or even the uh, sending in the Marines to Haiti, the, the ways that the presidency is affected and how that is communicated. With the Secretary of Defense not being a, a confirmed person at the moment, nor a White House press secretary that is a familiar face, presumably, unless uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, reaches into the Fox News uh, annals of of uh, of any of their commentators to be the next White House press secretary. Um, it's been done before. Uh, uh, Snow, Tony with, Snow. Tony Snow. So the question is, what does this mean to the American public as without having a trusted face in any of those positions? Admiral Ken, as somebody who's been – uh, fought some of these wars. Um, are you bothered that there doesn't seem to be a trusted public face in any of those places? I, I well, you know, it's a, that's a that's a a Sophie's choice kind of question, Dan. I, I mean, so do I want do I want the president to to stand up and do whatever he's been doing as he's climbing on the on air, onto the helicopter and 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 deliver his version of of his reality? Or do I want one of his appointees to do it? At the end of the day, crap is crap. And so I, I, I gotta I gotta admit I, I'm not I'm not so much bothered or worried about it. When I was in uniform when we were uh doing Desert Storm, um honestly we were too busy to look at the daily presidential briefing anyway. <laughs> we were a little occupied. Yeah, but your friends and, and family and, uh, uh were were watching those things, getting an idea of yeah, what you but, did you know, were doing. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I guess maybe you know you you might have to talk to you know my mom or you know um, my former spouse you know to get to get their perspectives on it. But you know, I my perspective on it is that honestly, uh, I would like to see an honest face 
out of that White House, period, in the story, either in the, in the body of the president or one of his functionaries. I, I don't care who. And not getting a regular, uh, regular uh, um, dump on a daily basis of, of BS, I don't know. I think it's kind of a refreshing deal right now. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of digging Sarah's, Sarah's silence right now. Okay, I'm going to throw this jump ball between Alan and Rich, who wants to bring us out of this segment to as far as the history of the press secretary and, and talking to the, the American public. Well, I'll say one thing, and then I'll let, and then I'll, then I'll <laughs> defer to, to Rich. And 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 I think, but I think it was touched on before. Most people, uh, I think Rich was generous when he said half the people wouldn't know who the press secretary was. No, I would say <laughs> half of one percent of the people might know who the press secretary is, and that's just fine. Now, some of these people that have been able to capitalize on their on their visibility. Um, and and make a make a career uh, elsewhere um, in in the media, um, but but the idea is not that they become personalities in their own right who are highly recognized. Um, credible journalists don't want that job because you're a spokesperson. You're not you're 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 concealing and bending news. You're not you're not seeking it out. You're not even getting the the chance to comment on it. And so they've there's always been a challenge to find people. In the business, who would want to come and do it, even though they might see it as a as a, a, a career change, a a, a chance uh, uh, to move on. Um, sadly, two of the best known people are are Sean Spicer and Sarah Sanders, and that's not a good thing for them. And Rich Rubino. Yes, and that, well, that, I mean, it actually goes back to the Hoover administration, the office. But I'll say this: in terms of a press secretary that actually I think made news himself, the one I'm thinking of is actually Jerry. Uh, Gerald Turhorst, and that, this was in the Ford administration. And when Ford pardoned Nixon back in 1974, he actually resigned his post. He'd been there for that month. Uh, remember, Gerald Ford came in. He had job approval ratings at about 78 percent. It went it went precipitously down to about 48 percent the day he did that. And he made news because of that. He did it as an act of conscience. But I think in terms of taking the job as a press secretary, remember, um, it kind of gives the impression to the American people to the point that they care at all. That is really a revolving door between being an impartial, uncolored observer in the press, somebody who's covering the White House or covering or something to that effect, and then going the other way, and then immediately you're part of the administration. Now it can work the other way as well. I mean, George Stephanopoulos, for example, uh, came to fame. I mean, he worked for Dick Gephardt. He worked for Bill Clinton. Um, certainly, that's where he became known for. You know, his he, he was the first press secretary in the Clinton administration. But now he he then went over to ABC News, and he's now seen as you know an independent journalist. But um, you know, you just have to realize that you're seen as being a partisan of a certain um, for a certain candidate, even if your views don't necessarily align directly with that candidate. And uh, one last word from Alan. And then we're, we're... Yeah, just just a word on 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 Gerald Tohurst, the uh, the the above uh, the previously mentioned press secretary to to Gerald Ford. He was a Detroit newspaper man. He knew Ford. Ford brought him in. He had the job. Terhorst did not resign because of the pardon. He resigned because he was not in the loop on the pardon, and he thought, I can't function. And with those last words, we'll wait to see CJ Craig giving the next press briefing. And that is our show. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Backroom Politics, and we'll see you later this week. Thanks, everyone.